Hello, and welcome to How Books Are Made, a podcast about the art and science of making books. I'm Arthur Atwell. I spent my first decade in publishing, learning that all books take months or years to make. And I've spent the next decade unlearning that. Most of the books I'd been making over months or years took that long because we weren't focusing solely on that book. The actual productive effort that creates a book can be measured in days, and the only reason books take longer to finish is that life and other books get in the way. So, when we really need to get a book done fast and can rally a dedicated team around it, how fast can we move? For many years, the leaders in the field of rapid book production have been book sprints. I think of them as the impossible missions force of bookmaking, a crack team who fly in from halfway across the world to make a book happen in a matter of days. And their fearless leader is Barbara Roiling, a deft facilitator who can lead any team from zero to book in five days. Barbara is the CEO of Book Sprints and a cultural anthropologist. She studied in the US and Germany, lived and worked in Colombia, and is now based in Berlin. I wanted to learn more about how she and her team work, and to chat about what we can all learn from that. Barbara, I'm so glad we're speaking at last. It's been years since I first got to know about Book Sprints and what you do. But somehow you and I have never actually had a chance to meet and catch up. So thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I'm super happy to talk to you. As you know, I have a children's book nonprofit that I co-founded that I'm involved with now, although not on a day-to-day basis anymore. And the premise there at BookDash is that we make books very fast. And I have to admit that we took a big chunk of our inspiration from book sprints, not only for our name, which is a nod in your direction, but also and mostly because it's just remarkable to see what can be done. But let me not get ahead of myself. I think the first thing is, could you tell me more about what Book Sprints is and does? Sure. So um, a Book Sprint is a collaborative writing sprint of five days where a group of experts comes together and collaboratively writes, edits, revises, and then publishes a book with a strong facilitation and a rapid book production team in the background. So uh, the book is being illustrated, uh, layouted, proofread during those same five days and it's ready to be published. It's amazing, really incredible. (laughs) I remember many years ago, the first time I came across book sprints, I think that Adam Hyde had set up a sprint at the London Book Fair and was somehow connecting it to an espresso book machine so the actual printing even happened during the fair and everything how did that work yeah that was uh, shortly before me adam adam hyde who is our founder and who developed the whole book sprints method uh experimented a lot in the early years and and uh, even had a, a mobile book printing van that he drove around with <laughs> and uh, and then used the night of the last day to to print and bind the books and have them ready actually at the end of the of this print. We don't do that anymore, even though working with printers sometimes make us wish we we would have our own uh, mobile book mind binding <laughs> and printing van. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Yeah, that would really be fun. And I mean, I know from my own experience that really the key to making this work at all 
I mean, there are many keys, but possibly the biggest one is facilitation. Really considered, thoughtful, experienced facilitation. Can you tell me more about how the facilitation works? What does the facilitator bring to the book sprint? Uh, yes, yeah, I think that's really the secret sauce that makes it uh, work. I started as a facilitator at book sprints. I was trained by Adam and uh, Adam came up with this kind of unique facilitation approach that is very production oriented. So while of course there is a lot of team building happening and a lot of exchange of ideas, generation of new ideas, the main focus is really to have a product uh, at the end of those five days. So in that sense, it differs a little bit from other facilitation styles where it is more about maybe conflict mediation or learning. All of that does happen, but this very time boxed, very clear focus of that tangible result uh, changes the the phases of the sprint. It changes the focus, um, and it's it's quite incredible what people are willing to invest, the motivation they get out of it, uh, if they have this goal. And the facilitator, I sometimes say, is mainly there to get obstacles out of the way, and obstacles are often people themselves. So especially if you have a group of experts, they have been in the field for some time and they have strong opinions. We all know meetings that go on forever, discussions that go in circles. So the facilitator is there to keep the group on track, uh, find consensus, move forward. I mean, I've had a few years to wrap my head around it, right? And I've done my own share of rapid book production, although in a totally different field in children's books. I think that for those who are coming to this for the first time, perhaps we should explain what happens on each day. What's really happening there day one through five on a daily basis? What is the production team doing in the background to paint a picture of how this process really unfolds? Can you take us through mm -hmm. that? Yeah, we. Uh, our slogan is from zero to book in five days. So we start from zero. The only thing that is allowed in terms of preparation is kind of like a working title and a subtitle but nothing below that, like uh, no table of content or preconceived book structure. Um, the group of people that comes together, that's the preparation that happens. So if you invite a marine biologist, that's the knowledge you will have in the group. No? If you invite a climate change denier, that's going to be a position that you will have in the group. Right. And then we start from, from zero um, with a big group discussion about the scope of the book, the content, what can go into it, what shouldn't, the target reader. We do lots of and lots and lots of sticky notes. And uh, then often within the first hours, we come up with a preliminary book structure uh, that is completely created collaboratively. And that's so important that mm -hmm. that doesn't happen before the sprint and isn't sort of like a pre-given. Uh, so it's not about uh, assigning tasks to different people and say, oh, you're the marine biologist, you should write this chapter. It's right. really asking the marine biologist, what do you think is important? And uh, bringing in these different perspectives and having an open mind of creating something completely new. Are we seeing a sort of collection of post-its on the walls and whiteboard exercises and that, that sort of collaborative work? Lots, lots and lots of that. And uh, from those post-its, we come to the first chapter outlines Often small groups work together to sort of break it down a bit more and see, okay, what could this chapter look like? What could this chapter look like? Get some feedback from their peers and then start drafting. All of this already happens on the first day. 
And then over the next days, um, there's an iterative cycle of uh, drafting, editing, revising, restructuring, coming back into group discussions whenever there's um, the need for it. But a lot of the conversation happens through the writing itself. So the way we work in a book sprint is the premise of complete shared ownership and authorship of the text. So even though you may start writing this chapter, it's then taken over by somebody else or another small group and uh, they become the authors. They don't send comments back to you. They take over and make the changes that they see fit and only bring back into discussion if there's anything. Of course, sometimes there's some debate around. That way we only move forward. There's only one living version of the document that also helps in, in terms of time. Yeah. But also over those iterations, often like three or four edits, the group starts developing a, a, a collective voice, a collective style. Does that, does that collective style sort of happen naturally or do you have to facilitate it and massage it into place? Sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, mm -hmm. we, we like to uh, not upfront too much of it and just start, let people start writing a bit. And as they write and then read each other's text, often uh, naturally they will see, oh, we really like this style, no? Or they see, oh, we really address the reader in a very different way. What let's agree on one way or the other. And um, once we find sort of what the preferred voice is and, and the preferred style, uh, we often form a small group that does a last edit top to bottom at the end to make sure that this is kind of in a good flow and, and consistent. And is everybody working in, into a collaborative document like a Google Doc or something similar? Yes, we work a lot with a open source software called Editoria, which is developed by the Collaborative Knowledge Foundation that our founder, Adam Hyatt, also founded, which is a yeah collaborative writing and book production tool. And uh, it's a little bit different from Google Docs in the sense that you see the book table of content emerge as you write. So it helps visualize sort of the, the outline and the structure of the book. On the back end, we have a team of book designers and illustrators and copy editors that work on the same platform remotely and already start sort of uh, developing a style for the book, depending on whatever the group comes up with. No, if they maybe on the first day or on the second day, they may decide this should be a manifesto and it should be bold colors or this should be more academic and, and a little bit more toned down. So the, the layout will adapt to that. Any ideas for illustrations that the writers come up with, diagrams, cartoons, uh, they can just make little sketches on, on a napkin or anything they like. And um, we have fantastic illustrators who turn them into illustrations very, very quickly. So all of that happens in the same time. Amazing. And that's also an iterative process. Usually that's usually three, four rounds of back and forth until we find a common style that everyone likes. And then, yeah, we have had books with up to 180 or so diagrams made in those five days. That's just amazing. And the last element are copy editors. Uh, we have uh, usually one or two copy editors who start a read through whenever the day of the writer's end. Uh, we work mostly with uh, copy editors in New Zealand and in South Africa, so they're in different time zones. So sometimes it works out that they can sort of have a normal working day <laughs> whenever our group of writers ends their day. And they do very light touch editing because they're working on a living document, which is still going to be edited the next day. 
and just make small corrections. And then they always send feedback back to the group because usually during the book sprint, the individual writers and small groups, they will be working very intensely for a day or two on just one chapter. And the copy editors uh, can send feedback about inconsistencies, um, repetitions, because they see the entire document every day and will sort of give new tasks to the writers for the next day. Fantastic. And the cover design, does that happen at some point? That's always an exciting moment and a difficult moment for the team. Yes. Uh, the same illustrators also usually make proposals for the cover, often towards like the end of the five days. Sometimes the group has a time and brain width to think of cover ideas. Sometimes it's just something that our illustrators come up with based on the illustrations that they've already been working on for the entire week. And then they can make different variations. Sometimes you have a little vote. Yeah. It can be very emotional. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> it's always a, a great moment. I'm sure with Book Dash, it's the same thing. It, it makes it very real, no? Seeing a cover all yeah. of a sudden. Like, oh, it's not just a Word document or a PDF. No, it's going to be a book. <laughs> no, it really is a very magical moment. I mean, I was recently reading some of the blog posts that you've written and that some of your clients have written about this process. And everyone's clearly so joyful about it and, and what can be achieved. What are some of your highlights over the years, your sort of favorite projects that you've worked on? Um, I think we about half of our clients are software companies and we write a lot of technical books. Um, this is where Adam first started creating the Booksprints method and open source software, and we still do a lot of those. Uh, we work a lot with NGOs, international organizations, universities. One of my favorite book sprints was one that I did in Nigeria with an NGO. And uh, it's also the only book that ever turned into a fiction book oh, wow. by accident. Yeah, I think <laughs> <laughs> we, we brainstormed so many um, contentious topics on the first day that the writers said, we should fictionalize this so we can actually speak for more freely about these topics. Ah, interesting. And um, I freaked out a little bit because I didn't have any experience in this, but gladly we had some fiction writers in the group and, and one television script writer, which was really helpful because they also write scripts collaboratively. And then we turned everything around on day two and wrote a fiction book in five days collaboratively. So interesting. You know, in an earlier episode, I was talking to Sam Beck-Bessinger, who's done collaborative fiction writing for Marvel and Serial Box. And the same theme came up that TV writers and, and script writers are so used to write, working collaboratively that there are skills there that the book production world could learn from and they, they, it really works. Yeah, I would, I would love to have a sneak peek. Um, but if you think about it, I mean, every book is written collaboratively in one sense or another. No, I think the, the myth of the genius author who sits alone in the cabin in the woods I mean, there's usually always a, a partner, an editor, uh, teachers, no, there's, there's uh, like shoulders yeah. to stand on, colleagues to discuss with. So I think it's also a little bit how, how we construct this idea of authorship, no, and how, how far we're willing to take it. But for sure in, in television and in book sprints, we take the collaboration very far. Yeah. Am I right that this week you're working with the World Wildlife Foundation on a book sprint? It's our second book sprint with the uh, World Wildlife Foundation. They have a fantastic science department and they think a lot about how to create change in the world with systems thinking. And we did a book sprint about two years ago about the principles of systems thinking for NGOs, not just conservation, but also NGOs in general. And now we are following up with a more practical tool kit 
to yeah, give people who want to try it out some tools and some understanding of how they can apply systems thinking to conservation in other areas. So exciting. And if you could talk about it, what sorts of people are in the room and how many people are all working together on this as we speak? Uh, at this moment, we have five main uh, writers in the room. So usually, yeah, we have between five and 15 writers. That's our preferred group size. And it depends a bit on how um, how descriptive or how generative the text is. If, if it's more about idea generation and coming up sort of with new topics and, and new themes, we prefer groups that are a little bit smaller. If there is a lot of content to cover and it's more about sort of downloading existing knowledge and finding a way of combining different perspectives, a larger group can can also work really well. That's really interesting. So the big question, of course, is the quality question, right? It's <laughs> the one we faced at BookDash in the early days, and I think we've dispelled it by now. And you must answer this question all the time. Naturally, people will wonder whether a high quality book can be produced so quickly. How do you answer that question when <laughs> it comes up? Yeah, the quality question is is uh, so interesting. And um, for me, the quality is there if the book is really useful for the readers. And what that means can be so different. And we work with uh, such uh, niche topics sometimes that uh, no no publisher would, would touch that topic. But then sometimes they find uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of downloads online and, and are translated into uh, 11 different languages. We have this book on how to read and understand oil contracts. Oh. It seems to be very niche, no? And it's it's hard for us as a facilitator to say um, what the quality standard is because as facilitators, we don't really know the topic. It's, it's very hard to judge, no? We can see, sure. yes, these are complete sentences and they make sense, <laughs> but I don't really, I don't really know. And it became this uh, huge, enormous hit. And uh, yeah, like I said, hundreds of thousands of downloads and translated into 11 languages. So there was a real need and there is uh, a real use for it. It was such a low budget production. They didn't have uh, our copy editors on the team. And of course, there are some spelling mistakes in the book, but it's still so useful. It doesn't really it doesn't really take away from it. So, uh, yeah, I answer the quality question by saying the groups we work with, they tell us in the beginning what they want the outcome to be. And if we reach that outcome by the end of the sprint and they are happy with the result, then that means for me, we achieve the quality that we need to achieve. Some of the software manuals that we write, for example, there's no way for me to tell what the quality is. I need sort of our clients to tell us. And if they uh, tell us the stories about how they use books everywhere in workshops, they give it out to their clients, uh, how many downloads or sales they have, uh, and they keep coming back to us, um, then that shows me that we achieved the, the right quality. The quality question is really interesting to me because when I look at the traditional publishing process, which is takes a long time and is very distributed, my sense is that most of it is dead space, is just air that can be squeezed out. And that there are sometimes there are books where it helps to have ideas that come to you spontaneously on a long walk or lying awake at night. And 
that's wonderful. But for the most part, the vast majority of book production is about focus, sometimes about facilitation or coordination and about productive effort. And so if you were to squeeze all that dead air out of a production process that normally takes six months or a year, you would end up with five to 10 days, you know, five days in person. Um, and presumably that's what Book Sprints proves. Yeah, I think, I think you have a really good point. I mean, if we bring together 10 experts for five days and five uh, long, intense days, often 12, 14 working hours, right? then um, that's a lot of woman hours and men hours coming together. And uh, they are, like you're saying, they're much more focused uh, because you don't lose time, you know, when you send a draft to a colleague and you wait for feedback for three months and you already forgot uh, what you wrote initially and you have to get back in the mind space. Yeah, people are very focused and that speeds it up a lot. Yeah. So we've been talking about five-day book sprints so far in person, but everything changed this year. And you can't really do in-person book sprints under pandemic conditions. No. So now it's virtual book sprints, right? Uh, what has changed about your process doing this online? What are the pros and cons and the trade-offs? Yeah, we, uh, we spent 10 years saying that this cannot be done online. It's so intense. People really need to be in the room together. And uh, now since April, we have been proving ourselves wrong over and over again. We've done a whole series of virtual book sprints now. The first thing that we changed is we extended it from five to 10 days. The days are a bit shorter. Uh, we have a lot more breaks. We also often have teams that work different time zones. So some people may start the day very early and others may stay up very late. So we spread it out over 10 days and um, everything is a little bit slower. We have to be a little bit more structured. We have a lot more formal check-ins. As a facilitator in a room, I can sort of just walk around and look over people's shoulders and get a sense of where everybody is. And if somebody is stuck, Online, this has to be a little bit more formal. I constantly have to check mm. in a lot more and ask everyone. And then you feel like you're interrupting them. <laughs> sometimes I do. Yeah, sometimes I, I feel like I'm interrupting them. Sometimes I have to take myself out of the way <laughs> and let people just write for a bit. The other thing that is different online, I think, is we visualize a lot more. Mm. It's uh, really helpful for people to keep focused we write down almost everything, uh, decisions taken, um, target audience. We do a lot more visual exercises. And it's overall a little bit more structured. We usually have a very organic facilitation style. So even though there are five phases of a book sprint, from conceptualizing to structuring to writing, revising, and the final sort of book production publishing, it can be quite organic from one phase to the other and uh, not everything happens at the same time. And online, we have to be a bit more structured and a bit more formal and have a little bit more sort of set timeframes and so on. But yeah, we were very surprised it's actually working really well. I mean, the obvious cons are the socializing, the networking, the yeah. fun of being with a group of colleagues together. Um, sometimes we go to really nice retreat style locations and uh, people spend you know share meals and have a really good time mm. together that's much harder to emulate online 
but we're surprised that it actually still happens. The the participants tell us that they still feel that bonding, even to colleagues they have never met before, but they work so intensely together that there is still, they really feel like they get to know each other and, and they bond even online. Yeah. And interestingly, one of the pros I think is that people have a little bit of more personal space. Uh, so there's, there are, we encounter so far less interpersonal tensions, working together for five days in the same room and spending all the time together. There are often quite a bit of tensions. And of course, that's uh, what we have facilitators for to make sure everyone, if they need a bit of space or they need, they need someone to talk something through or yeah, we try to mediate. And, um, that was something we were quite concerned about because it's much harder to sense in an online space, Yeah. but it's actually so far, um, a little bit less, which I think maybe because people can take a little bit more distance if they feel like they, you know, they're getting a little bit on an edge, they're challenged mm -hmm. a bit too much. They can, um, step back for a bit and they're in their own home, which helps. Yeah. Presumably it's a bit hard for people who are in their own homes to commit the focused stretches of time. There are going to be interruptions. And how do the participants manage that? I mean, that's a problem we all have trying to work from home, right? So it's in more intense. Mm -hmm. What approaches have people come up with or had to put in place? Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest challenge. For an on-site book sprint, we often travel to a different location. And then once you're there, you're fully committed. Working from home means, you know, your normal life, of course, goes on around you. And mm -hmm. as much as we try to set ourselves up for a week that's extraordinary, that's uh, very intense, very focused, and, and shouldn't be seen as like your normal work week, nine to five, life still interferes, right? Mm. But I think this year we all learned to work with those interruptions and having uh, kids and pets and household. Yep, <laughs> deliveries. Yeah, come, come, <laughs> come in the way. Yeah, exactly. So it is a challenge also because I think it's harder to explain to a superior that you can't be reached, you're not available for other uh, tasks in that time. People yeah. tend to have a lot more meetings going on at the same time and calls and, and some people do like a full work day and then do a six hour book sprint in the evening or something like that. Uh, so that's been a challenge. So that's also why we, one of the reasons why we do 10 days instead of five days. Sure. And still, I think the pull is so big collaboratively creating this idea and having the, the carrot on the stick of the book in the end, people get so motivated, they somehow still make it happen. Yeah. They they kind of like work around all the other obstacles and, and make it happen and show up and, and show amazing commitment. So we've been really amazed by how how great our participants have been dealing with this. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a testament to the magic of the book, this thing, the book that no one can quite cleanly define and yet is a... Uh, an object of shared reverence. People really love the, the practical art of the book and creating it. And that interests me on a very big philosophical level because we're living in an age where everything is website and video, uh, app and interactive, and yet the magic of the book remains untarnished. What is it, do you think, that keeps people thinking, let's make a book, this, this thing that we have in our brains needs to be a book? It's it's quite amazing. It's such a highly valued cultural artifact. 
And uh, in, in our book sprints team, we often joke about it. Uh, if we told people, let's do a PDF document sprint, <laughs> we would never see the same level of motivation. No, even though some of the books we make are never printed, they may mm. just uh, exist electronically. Yeah, we, we really have a lot of um, value that we attach to the book. Uh, at the same time in a book sprint, I think we deconstruct the notion of what a book is completely. And mm. uh, there's this, um, yeah, really interesting book by Martha Woodmansey on the construction of authorship, how in, uh, in the Renaissance, this idea of the genius author came to be. And before that, books were much more seen as sort of living documents, you know, copied by hand from monk to monk, and each person would sure. add something to it. And and the original author didn't play that big a role. And then we created this idea of the genius author. And in a way, we are deconstructing that with ideas like book dash or, or book sprints. But at the same time, we also make a lot of use of the power of, of this artifact. People get really excited about having their name on the book. And some people we work with are published authors and some are just very good in what they do in their field. They have a lot of practical knowledge. They may have written in blogs or other media yeah. and are very excited about getting their name on a book. Yeah. And uh, yeah, even us, I mean, having holding a book in hands is great, fulfilling feeling. But why that still has that value and doesn't seem to go away? You know, I mean, everybody has been talking about the end of the book and it just doesn't go away. So, um, yeah, there's something to it that I don't quite understand. <laughs> it really is very special. One day I hope to put my finger on it, although maybe not. Maybe I just love the magic and it being a little mysterious why this thing has such power. You also have a whole other role in your life, which I just am curious about. For something completely different. You also manage a film festival. Uh, tell me more about that. How does that fit into your life? Um, yeah, for many years, I used to manage uh, a documentary film festival together with a wonderful team of curators and filmmakers um, and artists in Colombia. Um, my training is as a cultural anthropologist, which uh -huh. led me both to facilitation. Sure. You know, I, I always feel a little bit like it's an anthropological study, getting <laughs> into a new group of people in a completely new field that speak a different language, a different jargon. Mm. Yeah, but my training as an anthropologist also led me to documentary filmmaking, which uh, I really love. And and um, I had the luck to be part of this uh, crew in Colombia making a documentary film festival that traveled through the country and showed films in all kind of unexpected public spaces for free. That's definitely a, a magical project. Yeah, oh, that sounds really, really special. And I can totally see the thread there of cultural anthropology through documentary filmmaking and the way that you spread the films uh, and then into bookmaking, collaborative bookmaking, especially. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I am very much looking forward to seeing what else Booksprints produces. I'm excited to see what you finish this week with the World Wildlife Foundation. That's super exciting. Obviously a, a favorite organization of people around the world. So um, good luck for that. I hope it goes really, really well. Thank you. And thank you again so much for joining me, taking time away from your intense book sprint week to chat here. Thank you so much, Arthur. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, it would be such a help if you'd take a moment to share that with a friend or on social media. 
you'd be amazed at the effect that every share has on our downloads. So, thanks for that too. You can point people to howbooksaremade.com, where I'll also post links to things we talked about today. We'll also add a transcript of this conversation there. How Books Are Made is supported by Electric Bookworks, where my team and I make books all day, every day, in sunny Cape Town, South Africa.